in this afternoon period. Uh, we'd like to uh, invite uh, questions. During the days we have been here together, there's been uh, and continues to be um, an exploration of different themes and the mindfulness, the meditations, the concentration, the intentions, the uh, inquiry, uh, matters of the heart, love, appreciation, uh, gratitude, thankfulness, the uh, freeing up of the mind, the addressing mind states, dynamics of change, and of course uh, this morning with the talk this morning, um, the exploration of uh, the gradual fade out of difficult and problematic issues in our life through fully addressing them and also that capacity that there is for sudden statement, the sudden realisation to bring something to an end and start afresh in some way or, or other. So out of the, these themes and many others, of course, over the days, if there's anything that you would uh, uh, like to uh, ask or touch upon, uh, feel free to do so. And of course, tomorrow, uh, Sonia and I will uh, speak to you in the morning period a bit about the transition from here to the daily life. So let's, in the time that we are here together, give the uh, priority to uh, these days that we have had. Um, I've put the uh, recorder on, so it'll be re uh, uh, recorded, and if you do, you'll have to write it if you don't want to speak. All right. Anyone has anything you'd like to touch upon or ask, please feel free to. Yes, please. Yes. I, I had a colleague. A colleague, yes. yes. Um, I always quote with him. Yes. It was, um, I had so much stress and he had so much stress with me. Too much? Stress. Um, stress. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. over, yeah. over years and um, now it changed completely. Mm. Yeah. We are, um, we are quite close now. When I moved to a new flat, he, he helped me. Right. And when he moved to a new mm. flat, I yeah. helped him. So, And it changed completely. What contributed to the change? That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't around. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's something that I can't make the change. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I have other relations who are, um, yeah, maybe could, could be a little bit better. Huh? If, you, so, if you keep to the question, Silica, rather than the story, it would mm -hmm. be better. Yeah, how, um, how to, um, I, I, I see the change, but I um, do not know how it, how it works or um, because I can't make reference to that so I can only speak in the general here as you point out there can be communication with another and there is some continuity of uh, stress in that uh, period of time and sometimes we may not recognise nor know the actual point of uh, a resolution and empathy which is the clear signal of uh, uh, the resolution but in order for, for there to be stress with both people, um, both people have to have a polarised view towards each other. And sometimes a person can be in dispute with us, she or he can be in conflict with us, but it does not mean to say at all that we are in conflict with the other. And if there is calmness and clarity and the capacity to listen and attend, there is no conflict from one side. It doesn't take two to have a conflict. It takes one. And sometimes, of course, it is two. 
and there may be that changing turning point uh, which we don't quite recognize as I mentioned uh, some other way of looking and the outcome as we just heard that two people having some extended period of stress with each other find that they can actually give support to each other and we have to be able to listen outwardly as much as we listen inwardly. Yes, please, anyone. Yes. Um, you mentioned in one of the talks that the contribution that oneself has to the development of uh, <coughs> things in life or on results is yes. rather small. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder. Um, where is the point that we actually can make a change? Is it in, in doing? Is it in the intention? Where, where is the yeah. point that we can take action? Yeah. The, the question is, where is the place or point that we can take uh, action? And sometimes there's a recognition that in the larger perspective, the contribution would be small. But... Um, Every lake needs drops of water. And so the smallness is not such that it should be underestimated its uh, uh, importance here. So in reference to the uh, question, the exploration of ourself, the intentions are are, uh, a factor. But sometimes we do not have to rely upon the intention to respond to a situation. That the awareness of the wisdom about doesn't depend upon making an intention in terms of that there is some choice about. But in the fullness of the wisdom, in the clarity of the situation, it has the real potential to bring out an immediate response. One doesn't have to think about it. One doesn't have to say, oh, I intend to uh, do this. It actually transcends the intentionality. And the teachings make reference, plenty of occasions, of course, to the value of wholesome intention, a good intention, uh, healthy intention. It's important and uh, precious and it carries with it some relationship to the outcome, the result. But there are actions in life and dedications uh, in life which take place because the the voice of the wisdom is speaking. So there are some, some in the hall here and uh, obviously in many, many places where there is a dedication, whatever that may be about. It's not reliant on one's intention. The wisdom and the steadiness is so obvious and and clear, it has nothing to do with being a good person or doing good or a wholesome intention. One just sees the necessity. And that... Necessity is the movement of the engagement. And, and therefore, the voice of clarity and wisdom is that which is, is the, the best contribution in life to an engagement, to an action. Regardless of what happens. And stays true to that. In some situations, here and elsewhere, we may be engaged in, I've got in mind global issues, environmental issues, sustainability uh, issues there. We may and probably won't live to see if there is any fruit or outcome of the endeavour. But that doesn't in any way reduce the significance of the action. It's not about the outcome. It's about the seeing of the reality of things 
seeing of the problems of things and our direct response to it. And that may be generations away, may not be. Yes, anyone, please. Yes, please. Just here, and then Ava, I'll come to you in a moment. Um, what is your definition about um, an awakened person? <laughs> Short. <laughs> <laughs> what is my def definition about an awakened person? An awakened one knows the emptiness of suffering. That's primary. An awakened human being is not in the grip of greed, blame, fears and confusion. An awakened human being lives with a deep empathy towards life, humans, animals and the environment. An awakened human being knows freedom as the norm of the daily life. An awakened human, human being that when there is some disturbance or agitation or something unresolved inwardly which is arising, all the interest, all the focus and all the priority is given to that very, very quickly to resolve it and not to feed it. Uh, an awakened uh, uh, person uh, there knows that which is not bound to time not bound to birth and death. This is an awakened person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Eva? My question is much more simple. Mm, good. I saw the, the dana, uh, you saw who? Baskets, the dana baskets. The dana baskets. Mm. I thought maybe you want to say something about this. Because I always love what you say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ava. <laughs> it will be after the talk. That's why the, the baskets are, are there. So, uh, Ava was reminding me a little earlier, and we've been friends for, forever, and um, that uh, she remembers uh, giving a talk on the first year of fatherhood. She was reminding me... That little girl will be uh, 37 in six weeks. So, <laughs> so I'll speak afterwards about the donations and the spirit and the letter uh, of the contributions. And uh, thanks, Eva. Yes. Yes, please. Yes, sir. Um, we talked about this, the fourth tetrad. The fourth tetrad, yes. And about the flow of things. Uh, Appearing and disappearing. Yes. And to go with this, to yes. find a, to find a way how to deal with this without suffering. Yes. And a close friend of mine um, is facing death. Yes. It's the same age um, as me. Mm -hmm. It's not my major issue. It's a no. Yes. Sure. Honest yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, five kids. The youngest is my uh, godson. Mm. And. He, he goes away, all things on the first go, mm. are going. Um, he, uh, he, is, uh, he is cancer. Mm -hmm. And my question is, what would be a wise balance between the equanimity to see that's the way all things are going? And also um, to feel close, uh, to feel sorrow, to feel grief. Mm. So, how could be a good position for this? Is, is the question with regard to your friend and cancer and possibly uh, approaching uh, death and the grief and the sorrow, the equanimity, you have in mind in relationship of yourself to the person? Yes. Yeah. Given... Uh, the circumstances and sometimes the tragedy of the circumstances, five children, all that goes uh, with, uh, with that. Can I just ask, what's your sense of how he himself is dealing with this? He's fine. He's very fine. <laughs> he's in peace. Yes. 
it's it's about uh, our friendship. Yeah. I know that it will be friendship, hopefully, yes. all my life. Yes. Um, but this specific friendship uh, is ending in next weeks. Yes. So his, his, it would appear then his death is that imminent, is that close, is it? Yeah. Could be weeks. I think I'm, One doesn't know, but there's yeah. a general sense and uh, feeling there. Um, the heart's normal, healthy response to loss, and especially the loss <coughs> of a loved one, <coughs> must be sadness. It would be rare for, for that not to be the case. The Buddha experienced sadness in the latter years of his life at the loss of some of his closest friends who had been with him in this nomadic way of life teaching and exploring. Sadness does not fall in the Dharma teachings into an area of being a problem which has to be resolved. It's a natural, organic, human response to loss or change. It can happen in that feeling of the sadness and such closeness for yourself, family, the kids and and, um, others uh, of course that from humanly enough but from the sadness the self can then get caught up in the wanting, the wanting for it not to have happened, the wanting it to be different, the wanting which says, I should have done something else or said something or whatever it it might be. This wanting is the problem. The self and the wanting which goes with it is an expression of grief. And the grief obstructs the ability to feel the healthy sadness because the self won't accept the change. And it's such that with the grief it can intensify into the intensification of a great deal of sorrow, a lot of living in the past, And when that accumulates there, with all the thoughts and memories and the pressure, it will bring about despair. And the grief and the despair, the the package of that is is the ego. It is the self. It is the absence of wisdom. It's being out of touch with the dynamics of life. So we listen to the deep in the being and the deep acknowledges this feeling of sadness at the loss of a dear friend over days, weeks, months and years without any wish to change that sadness. It's appropriate. To rest in the sadness and, and that's part of our process here to quietly rest in the, in the sadness will allow that sadness to quietly, gradually transform itself into an inner peace and also from that depth with the sadness and just feeling that experience you can then be a really good friend to those who are still living and that might require from you for your godson, for the other kids for the family members for the parents and the other people, the grandparents, yeah, may well require someone who is not caught up in the story, not in the grief and the despair, there, but is able to respond sensitively and respectfully because there isn't the build-up of, oh, me and my, what I, I have, have lost uh, there. And this exploration of feeling, working with change, and in this case the change arising out of the loss. 
it will contribute to our own well-being, for sure, but equally to the well-being of others. Because there's still space with the sadness to respond to the needs of others. And sometimes in loss, even though there is a certain preparation, the family knows it's cancer, know that there's limits to the time, but still nevertheless, uh, the loss quite often feels to be an abrupt change. And your calmness and your presence and your love and your empathy and the quietness of your being will be a great support to everybody. Thank you. Yes, just this for here, and I'll be with you. Yes, sir. Could you say something about the art? The, the art. Art, A-R-T. A-R-T, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To forgive. To forgive. Yes, mm-hmm. and not only by mind, but by heart. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that it's quite good in the reaction of the heart when the, when the object is uh, rising again. Yeah, yeah. It, um, One of these um, matters of the heart, forgiveness, which, while precious, when it flowers and emerges for some people, the vulnerability of it is to have an expectation with the I and the should going with it, I should be able to forgive. No one shouldn't. It's a view. So what I mean by that is, as a small example, there can be past circumstances in our life, personally, in which we have been hurt, abused, traumatized, violated, betrayed, and much, much more. There can be situations in our life where that has happened to others. And one knows who perpetuated that. Might be politicians, military, if we're talking in political terms, um, uh, there, and there is in that the reaction which takes place anger and blame and fault finding and negativity etc and the heart can be in quite some f- turmoil and agitation for quite some time and if it's personal it might keep reappearing with all the hurt and pain and anguish and vulnerability that goes with it. I think, personally, it can be too big a demand on a human being to switch from anger and blame and hurt and trauma to forgiveness. Um, It does happen My listening, it's rare. And the expectation puts more pressure. I should, whether it's personal or whether it's with regard to others or regard to someone that one loves or protects or whatever it might be. So rather than try to make this 180 degree turn from anger and, and hurt to forgiveness, The teachings of the middle way have a real application, I feel, in this kind of circumstance. Buddha doesn't demand forgiveness. It's actually quite difficult to find the word in the text. What he says was, what he says is, can I make the transition from anger to non-anger, from blame to non-blame, to thoughts of revenge to non-revenge? There, to being hurt, to the wish to hurt. And really put all the interest and the priority on that there. 
So not asking I should be able to forgive. But one can engage in enough exploration not to be angry not because, and not to react. Because in a way we are still giving that person authority over our life. We're still allowing that person to have a hold over our consciousness. They're back. <laughs> if anything in this world needs urgent need of recycling, it's warplanes. <laughs> and the the absence of anger and blame, making that a, a, a practice uh, there. And then making allowances and being open to the possibility, naturally and organically, forgiveness will come. I don't think the self, the I, that we should or need to put forgiveness upon ourselves as some kind of ideal which I should be able to achieve there. And some of the traditions, Christian tradition, which I love in plenty of respects, when Jesus, when the Romans nailed Jesus to the cross, Jesus said, bless him, he said, forgive them, Father, Father means Abba. Root meaning is the foundation of all things. It's truth, reality. But he uses the family concept because it's Middle Eastern culture. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Uh, there. He didn't say, I forgive you. Why should he? So sometimes in the response to circumstances of life we don't have to put that kind of pressure right? but we do hear you know, precious and beautiful stories of people's power to forgive and uh, it's a great uh, blessing for us to have the opportunity to, to hear that unfortunately Sometimes there is a desire for punishment and revenge. That's unfortunate. Yes? Um, I'm fascinated by the um, topic of digitalization. Missed the word. Topic of? Digitalization. Digitalization. Mm -hmm. Go on. It's a long word. Tell me what it means. Social media. Oh yeah, right. And I'm particularly interested in, uh, well, some perspective of, of the Dharma as to how this new global awareness. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's yeah. funny that now the world becomes aware much more. You know, what are some of the consequences that, or perspectives on the consequences? Yeah. From the Dharma standpoint. Yeah. It's um, um an area of um. Uh, um, interest uh, for myself and generate quite a bit of uh, reflection but I should add and say quickly here um, I use social media I think actually maybe more than all my dumb friends and teachers put together and that shows itself in blog Facebook business page, Facebook friends, Twitter, LinkedIn <laughs> and a few of others, I can't even think what they are for a moment, uh, uh, etc. But I can't be bothered to uh, waste time in this kind of parallel universe, this substitute reality there of reading and looking at and, and going through. So I just see it as a myself as a vehicle to communicate some dharma, communicate some uh, reflections uh, on a variety of uh, themes and do the links in through the uh, uh, social media, the blog, the websites, etc. 
but also to add here that I have, um, if I may say, uh, uh, written um, a number of critiques, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 words, about my concerns about social media, more recently about Facebook. About, that Facebook is, is not some big family community. It's not even ab- an advertising agency. It's a surveillance agency. And a surveillance agency which is selling the profiles of people to the biggest, uh, to those who want to buy it to manipulate the circumstances. And I do think it needs to be a real area here uh, of concern. So on the one hand is making use of, uh, for some of us, these resources, but not in any way blocking out, so to speak, our critique. And the critique is really uh, significant and important here to put pressure on the Zuckerbergs and uh, the Amazons and the Apple and the Microsoft and these uh, uh, huge influential corporations uh, there. So that concern and protest is kept alive even while using it. I don't find it personally hypocritical. I just make use of and I offer the critique. And I'm always happy to see just how many others are doing this as, uh, as well. And, and I think we have to put that kind of uh, uh, pressure. Otherwise, the manipulation of the public mind will grow and grow and grow. <clears throat> Enough? The global awareness part would be... <laughs> 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 um, th- th- people are often referring to, I can stay in touch with all my friends, not only Facebook, but through the internet as it is. Yes. And it is everywhere. Like There is the internet also in the space right now through yeah. the waves. Mm. In, in the way I look, look, look at that, this, um, I wouldn't actually put it quite so confidently in the global awareness category, partly because a huge number of our uh, fellow human beings um, don't have access in the rural regions and in the poor uh, uh, areas and, and uh, much, much more. And the other and this part of the concern that I have is we think we can change the world somehow in social media. We can vote for others against this and that and we can write an email and we can put a posting up, etc. It's not the real world. The, the real world is not going to change by a lot of thoughtful or less than thoughtful postings. It will change in the real world. So it is a resource for action in the world. And, but there is no substitute for the voice. There is no substitute for the demonstration. There's no substitute for the people working together in the real world, dealing with real situations and real human suffering face to face. And that is simply a small tool out of the real world which has to be brought into it. And if we don't understand that, then unfortunately we think we're doing something simply because we're, we're writing some response on Facebook. Hardly worth a thought. And this is someone who uses the media. So. <laughs> yes, anyone, please, a couple more questions. Yeah, please, yes, do, yes. No, because I... Because you talk about um, internet, there's a big uh, wave of now um, themes about artificial intelligence and mm. the Silicon Valley. Say, I, I don't read the book, but I heard about that they say it's something near Buddhism because they <laughs> something what <laughs> because they um, understand the brain like analogy and something about there's no I, no me. And so they create something new re- religion about that. You heard about it and you have no Sadly, I have. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I was just speaking. Um, we have in Tottenham Consciousness Cafe. 
So, <laughs> and so, whatever, every month, speak with invited, and, and have, it's a two hour session, and over a nice glass of red wine, whatever, and maybe 80, 100 people, whatever, come, etc. And this area of artificial in, uh, intelligence, and then some obscure uh, attempt to find some synchronicity with these kind of Dharma teachings. Artificial intelligence is what it is. It's artificial. And to try in some way or other to make a bridge from artificial intelligence into the uh, expanse of human life and all that we can offer and explore uh, 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 together. To me, it's... Um, an equation which lacks merit. So, though there is a great deal of exploration in the, what should we say, the technological world of these uh, <coughs> robots and all the other, all that, that goes along uh, with it, and the scientists, humanly enough, um, get quite excited about this. And the outcome of that is all sorts of projections about uh, the, the future. <coughs> to me, um, in intelligence uh, in life is not found in the technology, because it's arti uh, artificial, but it's in the human being's relationship to life. And that cannot be su substituted. Human beings... We are here, we are living, we are uh, organic, uh, we are not mechanical, and the preciousness of the formation and the expression of life, uh, there was all the beauty and the complexity that goes uh, with it. It's up to us. We've got this single instrument from head to toes to relate to this existence. And something inside the being really has to change to really link and connect with this world. And to me it's an avoidance. If we think we're going to rely on some mechanical quote-unquote behaviour, some artificial intelligence to address what's happening in this world. If you want a, if you want a robot to make you a cup of tea in the morning... <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Personally, I've got a pair of hands. It's cheaper. <laughs> yes, anyone, please. Yes, please, yes. Maybe I've missed the major point. But I wonder, um, we have the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Yes. Yeah. Not intelligent, uh, artificial intelligence. Yeah. Uh, Buddha, Dharma, and the Sangha, and I know Dharma teaching, I know Sangha, and Buddha, um, it's not the person, it's a concept, in this mm. case, or, or, or what is it? Because you're not a Buddhist, as you told us, so it's not the person, <laughs> but uh, I need some more words. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, it's fair enough, it's a good, it's a, a good point. So... <coughs> Just a general overview for the moment here with this Buddha Dharma Sangha uh, language. Um, it's called the Three Jewels. So it's the, act, it's the actual or symbolic factor initially. So a recognition of Buddhist Dharma Sangha is an alternative exploration of what real jewels are about. And they transcend what goes around the neck, what goes on the finger, what goes on the wrist, through the nose, on the ear, or whatever. <laughs> All this kind of jewelry has a modest place in life. And my, my daughter, she says to me, 
and my grandson. Grand, why do you, why do you wear a watch? Because they know they they're known never wear a watch. Why do you wear a watch? There's no point in them. They're old. They're out of date. They're just one functional. <laughs> just have a multifunctional, you know, smartphone. Okay. So sometimes we see all the jewellery around and as you say with the Dharma it has three meanings actually uh, just to make it clear one is teachings and practices which is probably the way that Sonia and I will have used together over the days Dharma teachings and practices that's one expression Um, another uh, expression um, of Dharma is that which touches us which reveals a truth so where there's an insight or realisation, the Dharma has touched us. It's a truth. There. Truth changes us. That's, so it can't be conceptualised. There's no framework of language. There's no truth in a book or truth in a religion or in a philosophy or whatever. Truth in these teachings is that which changes us, which wakes us up. And the third meaning of Dharma is that which gives support, dharma. And though many will not use, but in many, many ways, amongst us here, we are expressing the dharma there. The, uh, the, col- the colleague of Silka, friendship is made, gives help and gives support to her moving. That which gives support is called dharma. And there are many ways that you and I, human beings, and with animals, and give support. It's the Dharma. That's mean by the Dharma there. And the Sangha there, it has two or three meanings. So, one meaning of uh, uh, Sangha, the most basic one, it literally means, no religious, nothing spiritual about it, it literally means gathering or assembly. That's the meaning over the last two, three thousand years. And therefore, wherever people meet together with common cause, which is healthy and wise and appropriate, socially, politically, environmentally, family or whatever. And there's something precious and ethical and concerned, it is Sangha. So the Buddha just took this word from all the organisations and networks at his time and just used the same word. So the word is a bridge to the everyday world. And Sangha, he speaks of the Aryan Sangha, word rather unfortunately used two or three generations ago. And the Aryan Sangha, the noble Sangha, is men and women who are living with wisdom. And we need to keep our good hearts and minds and ears open to the wisdom. And much emphasis is placed on that uh, recognition of the noble Sangha. In the East, in Buddhism, the Sangha is, refers rather usually specifically to monks and nuns, to the ordained. But in the West, the Sangha has it's opened out from that concept, the Sangha. And in its uh, fullest view, a wider view, which then includes um, all manner of groups of practice. So those who might go to an Advaita teacher, you know, one will hear the word satsang. Sangha, meeting to find out what the truth is. Satsang. So it's the same word again. And with uh, the Buddha, has a twofold meaning, which people like myself move back and forward between. So there are plenty of references to Gautama the Buddha. Uh, one of the Buddhas uh, and t- 
So therefore, the quoting, such as Sonia and I with the Mindfulness of Breathing Discourse, it's a statement from 2,000 years plus uh, ago, and therefore the Buddha said, uh, etc. But it also, in its barest meaning, which you just referred to there, is awakening, to wake up. And this jewel of waking up. So the Dharma and the Sangha are two jewels which contribute to the waking up of the human being. And that, therefore, I take refuge in the Buddha. That the primary purpose of life is to wake up. And the word Buddha means wake up. So if I would categorize... Categorize... Uh, it would be the Buddha and Dharma and the Sangha. <laughs> so they're in... They are not, they're the same or they're... They're, they're, they're no, no uh, hierarchy because as the Buddha made plenty of comments, the Buddha belongs, the sense of belonging, the Buddha belongs to the noble Sangha. The Buddha, okay. the awakened ones belong to the Dharma. The Dharma belongs to the Sangha and the Sangha belongs to the Buddha. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> right, a couple more questions and then enough. <laughs> Take this a while with, with this and make it a little. It, one doesn't have to use the word Buddha, Dharma, Sangha in the daily life ever again. And one still can explore, quote-unquote, the Buddha Dharma Sangha. Just a a convenient language, which we might use here, but might not be appropriate elsewhere. That's freedom of language here. Yes. Yes, please, yes. Sag doch nochmal auf Deutsch. Ich bin eigentlich ganz neu mit Meditation. Obwohl ich höre so viel, aber Praktikum überhaupt vielleicht eine Woche vorher nur fange ich jeden Tag 15 Minuten an und diese Woche das erste Mal in meinem Leben. Sie richtig gesessen, deswegen ich habe eigentlich schon viele Probleme damit. Ähm, manchmal finde ich, ähm, dass ich ähm, vielleicht schlafen, dass ich wach bin. So, also, ähm, kann ich nicht ähm, meine echte Atmen oder so die Wand Before the retreat, she has been sitting for around 15 minutes a day mm-hmm. and a week before, mm-hmm. and now she's sitting here much longer, yes. of course. And sometimes in the meditation, she cannot really um, feel her breath, no. uh, she's not sure if yes. she feels it or not. And something she has told me before is that um, the nervous system is reacting and there are movements of the body like mm. this and yeah. quite uh, the reaction or uh, uh, movement yeah. um, to, to sleep. She knows that it needs practice and um, 
but what she can do. Yeah, sure. Um, it's not unusual with the uh, energies in the body that for some people there is the occurring of some involuntary movement. So the body is um, releasing and people often report a, sh a shift or a twitch or a movement or, uh, uh, there. It can be that there is some pressure sometimes of trying too hard to be still. So, if so, that requires, um, in the, say, the sitting posture sometimes, keeping the eyes open, not being too, giving too much attention to the breath, and expanding out to feel the whole body more. And if there's a little bit too much movement still going on, sometimes a person might just stretch the legs out in the meditation, might shift to standing meditation, or might just do something else for the energy to flow more freely. Dance and yoga being two kinds. And plenty of people over the years have gone off, to, gone off into the woods to do some dancing. <laughs> and hopefully more will join them. <laughs> <laughs> so just the quite regular checking, am I putting any pressure on myself? That's the main thing to remember. So it's a practice of learning with our energies, energies of the heart, energies of the body, to, to be able to flow more easily and freely. I'll just take a minute to in uh, conclusion <coughs> with uh, speaking with you um, this morning and this, uh, some touching of some aspects of the uh, last um, four of the uh, four of those in the tetrad uh, uh, there. In terms of some views which are uh, 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 expressed, one aspect of this is the freedom from holding to the view. What I have in mind in speaking to you here. There are times, not all the time, and as was expressed this morning, in which the real sense of, the real sense of things at times is of that there's this process of change and becoming going on. 
scientific language, the evolution of life, the movement of life, with its quite long, remarkable uh, history. And we, you and I, were in this dynamic and in this process. Uh, We didn't ask to be born. Our parents didn't ask us if we would like to be born. (laughs) We got landed with them. But don't forget, they got landed with us. <laughs> Never forget that, it just helps for the balance. Uh, so there's this, the, the movement of life. And it's free in, in that it's so expansive in its expression. Look at it, it's expansive, it's hugely expansive in its expression. It is precious to have a sense of that to have the modesty in our life of our own small place in this vast unfolding evolution we might call it but it's a view it's a way of looking there are times when that sense of the movement of life unfolding is not valid for us And we can have an equal view with regard to life as just immediate. There is an extraordinary silence, a depth of stillness, and nothing is going anywhere. Nothing is going in any kind of direction. It's not random, but it's not directional. It's not past, present, the future. And in our meditations, and in our, in our stillnesses uh, there, there can be a sense, in the deepest sense, nothing ever has changed. Nothing has ever changed. How could it? And sometimes there is a genuine sense of that. Despite. Despite. And other times felt equally, no more, no less, there's this huge unfolding going on with all the rhythms and the changes that are going on. And that also can be just as valid a view, just as valid an insight, just as valid a realisation there. And freedom is not clinging to the view. While recognising the extraordinary capacity to express the view. The Buddha was once asked, this is the historical Buddha here. (laughs) The, The Buddha was once asked, how do we protect the truth? It's a good question, how do we protect the truth? It's a good answer too. By knowing a view is a view. Enough. Let's have our quiet minute, shall we?
may all beings explore the great questions of life may all beings have the opportunity to share our experience may all beings live with love and wisdom <laughs>